dismissed at this time. Brother Connor will be teaching them today and uh, go together and learn God's Word. Love having them worship with us and also love them being able to uh, be challenged as well, kind of get the best of both worlds. Appreciate everybody that helps teach in our children's ministry. Well, I don't know uh, if you are tired today or not. Uh, Most people in our society get tired. Uh, That's a part of the human body. Uh, I think uh, maybe part of the effect of sin. I I don't know necessarily, but for whatever reason, our body is made uh, to where we need rest, and there are times that we are tired and we need to be uh, recharged. There have been a number of studies done that show uh, that when people in our society get the most tired as a whole, as a whole group, is from 2 to 4 o'clock in the afternoon. From 2 until 4 o'clock, studies say, that is when as a whole our society gets uh, the most tired, from 2 to 4 o'clock. Now I wonder when you get tired, what do you do to recharge? What do you do to recharge yourself and to uh, get yourself going uh, when you find yourself tired, whether it's from 2 to 4, whenever it might be for, for you, you know, you got to press on, and uh, you know you got to keep going. What do you do to uh, recharge? I went to a conference, got invited to go to a conference uh, a couple of months ago, and uh, was put on by a large church in uh, Arizona, probably the largest church affiliated with Free Will Baptist uh, in the country. Uh, they had over 5,000 people on Easter, and they typically run over 2,000 a Sunday, and it's out in Phoenix, Arizona. And for whatever reason, they put this conference on, and they invited me to go, and uh, they paid for everything as long as you paid for your plane ticket. I mean, they put us up in, in homes uh, there in Phoenix, and they paid for all our food, and, and did, there was no conference fee. The church paid for everything. It was just, you just get on a plane and be here. And there were 40 I guess about 40 to 50 people that uh, were invited to come to this conference, and I went. And like a lot of conferences, maybe your work conferences, or when you go to conferences, you know how that goes. If you have to go for two or three days, that second or third day, you start getting a little tired because you're not in your routine and you're not doing your normal thing and you're trying to get adjusted uh, to where you're sleeping at. And uh, I don't know why that is. I don't know how you are. When I, was, when I was 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, up into my early 20s, I could sleep anywhere at any time. And now when I go somewhere, if I go and, I, and, and it's the first night or second night, I cannot sleep at all. Any of you have that problem? Just curious. Any of you have that problem? If you do, got it? So I'm at this conference, and I wasn't able to sleep, and I'm missing my kids, and it was a good conference, uh, but I was just a little worn out going into the, the second day of the conference. And uh, this, this, this church, young pastor, dynamic pastor, just been pouring himself into ministry, and we got there, and this was a first. We get there for the second day of the conference to go in together, just pa- pastors, all it was, pastors, associate pastors, They've been invited to this conference to, to hear from these guys and be challenged. And uh, we show up the second day of the conference to go into the room where we were meeting. And I thought they'd probably have coffee, maybe tea for us to drink. This was a first. This was a first. We showed up to go in the second day. And to help us get energized at a church conference, they had monster energy drinks for the pastors to drink. If you know what monster energy drinks are, raise your hand. 
It is like an explosion. And I knew if I take that, I will die. My heart will stop. And uh, so I didn't, I didn't drink that, but the younger guys there that were, that were there, they were chugging that stuff down, and they were drinking those monster energy drinks, and the, the, the pastor that was hosting it, he drank one, and I thought, man, alive, I'm going to come spike our water fountain with monster energy drinks to wake you guys up. Hey, do me a favor real quick. I've never asked you to do this. Do this for me real quick. Everybody look that direction. Look over there. Now look this direction. Now look up at the ceiling. Praise God, some of you the first time ever have been moved in a church service. You have been moved. You have finally, it has been accomplished. Miracles have been performed in your day. When you're tired, how do you wake up? There are all kinds of ways that they say to wake yourself up from that 2 to 4 o'clock period. Uh, I don't drink monster drinks, but uh, I've read that if you get tired, you should turn on the radio and uh, not something slow, don't sing anything slow. You need to turn on the radio to some fast-paced music and start singing along, and that'll kind of wake you up. Uh, I've been told uh, when, you, when, you, uh, when you begin to get tired, again, I'm not a coffee drinker, but there are people who say, drink some coffee, and that coffee will recharge you, and it will wake you up. But did you know that one of the best ways when you are tired, and this seems so counterproductive, so counterintuitive, one of the best ways when you are tired from 2 to 4 o'clock to re-energize yourself is to get up and exercise. Did you know that? They say one of the best ways for you at your tiredest moment during the day to get recharged and reboosted is to get up and exercise. This is why some companies have put walking trails, bigger companies have put walking trails around their facilities. So when it's break time, people can go out and walk because that gets the juices going and it wakes you back up. Uh, at the gym that I sometimes go to, uh, there are guys when I go in the afternoon, there are some guys that every afternoon they take a late lunch break and they go to the gym that I go to and they work out at that time. Why do they do that? Because they know they're getting tired in the afternoon and they know that 30 minutes of vigorous exercise will wake them up to go back and do what they need to do. Sometimes as Christians and sometimes as churches, we get in ruts and we get in a routine and we begin to get tired from just the normal things that we do. This happens to churches just like people. We get in these routines and we just kind of go with the routine and we just, we're like, why well, don't I have the energy that I once had? Why am I not motivated like I once was? And the Word of God has an answer for that. If you spiritually are in the doldrums or your church is stagnated, the Bible has an answer for what you need to do to get motivated again. Now, if you believe the Word of God, say amen. amen. Then let's listen this morning to what the Word of God has to tell us to show us. So go to John chapter 4, and let's listen to Jesus as He shows us how to get re-energized, how to get re-nourished for the work that God has called us to. So John chapter 4... And go to verse 28 and just pause for one minute, all right? And I'll set this up. John chapter 4, verse 28, all right? Now here's the backdrop. 
So Jesus is, is he's launched into his ministry. And uh, he's traveled, he's traveled, uh, uh, he's traveling and he's preaching and teaching. And he, he winds up at this village. And it's a village with people who, who aren't, who aren't uh, 100% Jews like he is. And this is a village of people that um, come from a little different background. In fact, there's some animosity between this people in this village and, and, and Jews like Jesus. And Jesus shows up in this village. And he gets this village, and, and, and somehow the disciples go do their thing, and Jesus goes to do his, and he winds up at a well, and he meets a woman at the well. And he meets this woman at the well, and he begins to convict her of her sin, but also show her the hope and the love that God the Father has for her. Jesus meets this woman, and he begins to expose her sins, and begins to show that he knows what her sins are, and it blows her mind. And it freaks her out a little bit because she's like, whoa, how does Jesus know this? And Jesus confronts her. Listen, Jesus will confront your sin. If you're in sin today, whatever it may be, in this woman's case, it was she'd been shacking up with men and men that was, she was not married to. And Jesus confronts her over it. Jesus is not going to let her just pass by. He's like, this, this is not right. And he exposes the relationship for what it is. And I know today that we have those that struggle with sexual sin. We have those that struggle with other types of sins. And sometimes we would want to shade that. We want to say, that's not as bad as you think it is. That's not, let me tell you, Jesus knows just how bad sin is and what it will ultimately do to your body and to your soul and your person. And because Jesus loves you so much, like this, this woman here at the well, he will confront you and he will call your sin for what it is. Now it makes me uncomfortable sometimes when Jesus confronts my sin, but I have learned that he does this because he loves me. If you know Jesus confronts you because he loves you, say amen. So this woman, he confronts her sin. And uh, he exposes the sin. But then he begins to explain to her that there's hope and that there is forgiveness and that there is life. There is life in him. It's like you want to experience the love of the Father. Jesus begins to explain, I, I can give that to you. You just got to trust and believe. Follow me. And lo and behold, this woman, from her encounter with Jesus, she believes. She believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the anointed one who can save. And so she runs off. So this woman who's, and she, I mean, uh, and they, they knew, people in town knew. In fact, they're probably, it seems implied in the text, there probably had been quite a few men that had slept with this woman. She, she'd been passed around a little bit. Folks, folks knew her name. They, they knew what she was about. And so she runs off, the Bible says, to go. Look at verse 28. All right, let's pick up there in this story. The woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men. Now this could be the village elders. This could be that she knew where the men were at because she'd been sleeping with them and it was not uncommon for her to roll around. Whatever it means, she went to the men and they, they knew her. Verse 29, she said, Come and see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. And so she goes and tells and they come. Verse 31, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed, or they said unto him, Master, eat. They've been traveling. 
they've been going around. And he's, instead of eating lunch, he's been talking to this woman here. And they say unto him, Master, you need Jesus. You need something to eat. But he said unto them, I have meat, or I have nourishment, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Now, I don't know about you. If I'm hungry and somebody's got some food, and I want some food to eat, I want to know where it is. Man, my boys, if I try to sneak into the kitchen to find the goodies that my wife hides from me, but usually I can locate them eventually. I'll find them. I'll find where she has hidden them. When I find them, I don't tell her that I found them. I don't tell the boys that I found them. It's my secret, but I've learned something. Once I find those goodies, they'll be watching a movie. They'll be playing a video game. I'm telling you, they can be outside. And I'll sneak into that kitchen. And I'll open that, I'll open that cabinet up. And it's like a radar goes off in their brain. Food, 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 food. And when they come into that kitchen, if they see me getting a snack out, Ethan and Owen, they want some of that snack as well. They feel like, hey, if you've got that, I need some. So Jesus says to them, I've got meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, has any man brought him all to eat? Has anybody, did you bring him something to eat? Did you give him a snack? Have you, what, I mean, where did Jesus, wait, wait, Jesus doesn't have any food. He's been talking to this woman. Jesus said unto them, my meat or my nourishment is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not you. Don't say to yourselves that there are four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. Right now, lift up your eyes and look. Look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reaps will receive wages and will gather fruit unto life eternal. That both he, the one that reaps, and the one that sows may rejoice together. And herein is the saying true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap, thereon you bestowed no labor. He said, you, you have entered into a ministry. I have called you twelve disciples to build on, to complete, to finish the work that God started when he called Abraham and entered into a covenant with him and said he was going to reach all nations and all people. He says, I have called you to complete the work that was begun. He says, listen, I sent you to reap whereon you bestowed no labor. You didn't plant this field. Others have planted this field. Other men have labored. And you have now, in this hour, you have entered in to their labors. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him. What is your nourishment? What is your meat? What is your food for completing and accomplishing the will and the work of God? My friends, listen. We're called to go and to teach and to baptize. And this can wear you out. And you can find yourselves in a rut. And you can find yourself not actually doing what Jesus said to do. Like many men and women who have discovered Jesus for the first time, the Samaritan woman runs off because she wants others to know about the gift of life that Jesus can give. She goes to evangelize this entire town. Disciples, however, they have other concerns. They have other concerns besides the spiritual needs of this city. His friends, no doubt, let's be fair, 
No doubt they are legitimately concerned and worried that Jesus would be hungry and exhausted from traveling and teaching. That's not a bad thing to think. The problem is, though, in their concern for Jesus' physical needs, they are missing the spiritual reality that a whole village is in need of salvation and that this village is ripe for being harvested under the kingdom of God. Listen, if you want to see people saved, say amen. Then you have to see the harvest. You have to see it. You have to be aware of it. Listen to me. You have to make it a priority and a concern in your life. Jesus here, he contrasted this moment when the disciples are worried about him not eating with a spiritual reality. Jesus contrasts his momentary physical hunger with the eternal nourishment that can only come from participating in Father God's mission of redemption. Yes, Jesus was probably physically tired and hungry, but He was being nourished on a whole other level by spreading the good news of forgiveness of sins. As Jesus said, look at verse 34. What did, what did Jesus say there? My meat, my food, is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His Work. Why do we have such spiritual defeat in our lives? Why do we experience spiritual defeat in our church? Why do we experience spiritual defeat in our nation? It is because the church has forgotten. Or rather it knows and it does not do what Jesus said. He said, listen, my food, my food is to go out and tell others of the kingdom of God and to see them saved and brought into the kingdom to finish the work that Jesus gave me. Listen, if you believe that we have a good, good Father, say amen. And He has given us a perfect will. And he, what's God's will for my life? What's God's purpose for my life? If I'm young, what's His purpose? Middle age, what's His purpose? If I'm single, what's His purpose? If I'm a senior saint, what's His purpose? The purpose in your life is for you to know Jesus and to go and to spread and to preach and teach of the kingdom of God that He heralds and that He brings in. And you're never too old or too young to begin this mission. Once you understand that Jesus died for you, and you embrace Him as your Savior, then that is God's will. That is your purpose in your life. So I wonder if Jesus was to appear and He was to ask you, who did you tell about my kingdom this week? Who in your family that is bound by sin did you give a word of testimony for me? Maybe not this week. Who this month did you tell? Who this month did you talk to? What opportunities were before you that you grasped to let somebody know that was hurting and struggling and bound in sin like this woman how many opportunities did you grab hold of to tell them, I know the Master. And the Master has saved me and He has changed me. And He can save you as well. You believe Jesus can save, say amen. amen. It's not a matter that we don't know. It's not a matter that we don't know. It's simply a matter of we do not do. We do not do. Oh, we're, we're pros that... We're, we're pros that... 
finding different ways to gripe about how bad things are. And we're pros about talking about how great things used to be. And we're pros about talking about, oh, praise the Lord, my family's not like that. Praise the Lord for this. Let me tell you something. Jesus, that's none of what he said, will be your meat and your nourishment. Bragging on yourself, putting others down, that's not what will nourish you. The devil will let you feel that that makes you feel better to elevate yourself or your church or your family or yourself while putting down others in sin. That will not nourish you. Only one thing will spiritually nourish you, and that is to see people come into the kingdom of God. And so churches that forget that, and disciples that go to churches that do not practice that, they will not know the meat and the nourishment that they need. They will drop into that lull. They will drop into that place where they need to be re-energized. And there is only one way. And that is to simply to go and to tell and to teach and to see others baptized. Perhaps as Jesus sat there, and told them that His meat was to do the will of the Father. Perhaps He looked out and saw the Samaritans. Perhaps that very moment when He tells them, He looks out and sees the Samaritans on their way going out of the city. Seeing them, Jesus makes a contrast in verse 35. What does He say in verse 35? Say not that there are four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. Perhaps he's making a contrast. Maybe. That in four months you think the harvest is coming. But the reality is the harvest is already here. God's work. That is what motivated and drove and strengthened Jesus. Sharing the sin-shattering, God-glorifying, world-changing good news of hope that only Jesus could give. Jesus knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to be tired. He knew what it was to be misunderstood. He knew all of these things and yet what sustained Him to go and to share the news that the kingdom of God had arrived. As a local church, this is the main thing. Serving God in our generation by going and telling and prioritizing as we tell others that when they come, they will be nourished as we worship God together in one voice. Now last week we looked at that praising God with one voice. But listen, when people ask you why make Cookville Free Will Baptist Church your local church, why attend there, why be a part of that ministry, you need to be able to say, that's my church. Because there we experience nourishment from doing God's work. That's my church. Because there we're not going to just play a game. And we're not just going to rotate through the motions. And we're not just going to say, well, thank goodness I did my part for God today because I gathered together. Well, it's true, we do gather together to praise Him. But we're called once we are to praise Him to be motivated to go out and for that praise not to end here, but for you to go and tell others that they need to praise the name of God the Father as well. Where do you get your nourishment from? If you get it from your grandparents' spirituality... That will not sustain you. I've met many, many people who had wonderful God-fearing grandmothers. And many, many people had good God-fearing grandfathers. And they are dead in their sins. Some of you say, why am I spiritually weak? Why is my walk the way that it is? 
And I would simply ask you, are you doing what Jesus said? Are you finding your nourishment from going and telling others? Listen, too many churches in this land, too many churches in this city are focused on other things beside the harvest. It is the harvest work of going and telling that will give us nourishment. And when churches don't think about and they don't actively work at and they don't reflect at and they don't actually go out and reach others, then they get sick because they're not being nourished. And they wither up and they die. At Cookville Free Will Baptist Church, we've got to be committed as attenders, as workers, as leaders, as teachers, as pastors. We've got to be committed to prioritizing, telling others the good news. That is the way to stay nourished, to stay fit for kingdom work and for growth. Our mission is to serve God in our generation. And we do that through praising Him when we gather. And we also do that by prioritizing, reaching out to others. Our church health, your church health as a disciple, is dependent upon being nourished by harvest work. If you want to see the harvest, say Amen. And you must be willing to work. And I didn't want to work when I was in high school. My dad would get me up in the summer and he had a deal, really. As long as I played sports, I didn't have to have a job because I was busy doing athletics and that was keeping me busy and lots of energy and effort, so that was kind of the deal. As long as I was playing sports, I didn't, I didn't have to have a job out, outside the house. But he would give me work to do in the summertime. And he would give me jobs to do. And I've told you before that my dad, you know, it's amazing. Once my brother and I moved off, we had to rake those leaves all those years by hand, had to rake them up on plastic and then drag them to the road and dump them out. It, I mean, I don't know if it was one year after we left, he got one of those fancy things that pulled the leaves up into it and he drug it to the road. When he would paint the house, I, I promise you, when he would paint, he would slop paint all over the place. Make us take a razor blade and go shave that off the glass, get the paint off so it looked nice and neat, make us do that. When he would do that, I hated that. I had other things on my mind. I had ball on my mind. I had girls on my mind. I had girls on my mind. I had girls on my mind. I wanted to go to the lake. My friends were going to the lake. You can go to the lake. He did let me go, but it's like, you can go in the afternoon. You can go when you get this done. When's the last time you invited somebody to church? When's the last time you told somebody who had big problems in their life that they started to share with you? When's the last time you said, do me a favor. Come to church with me. Let me introduce you to some people that will love you and some people that will point you to Jesus because let me tell you about Jesus and let me tell you about how He changed my life. And Why don't you come and you see how He's changed the lives of others. Here's the thing, we can implement every program, we can give every opportunity, but if you don't do the harvest work, no one will do the harvest work. Amen? So Cookville Free Will Baptist Church, I mentioned three weeks ago, we've done all right. We've done okay. If we had the wrong attitude, we could pat ourselves on the back and say, well, thank goodness we're in that group that's just barely growing a little bit, but, but the majority, the overwhelming majority are declining, so praise the Lord, we're not in that group. No, 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 Jesus did not say 
pat yourself on the back. He said, there is a field out there that is ready to be harvested. Go and reach them with the good news. My friends, the only way we're going to be nourished and the only way we're going to be strengthened is through harvest work. Now I want to tell you something as we move forward. And as I try better as a pastor to do this, and as I try to think better as a pastor about how as a church do we create the opportunities that help you to invite people? Because I do recognize something here. As a church, you can get caught in these just doldrums and you can get caught in a routine. And you get caught in that and then as a church, you're no longer helping your people reach people. And that's wrong and that's bad. Church leadership should not be about just maintaining what's going on. Church leadership, really, if they're really leaders, are going to help people reach a harvest. As a church, you have to think about how are we going to reach out and reach others. And I want to tell you something. And this has always been the case. I just want to make it official. We're married to the mission, not a model. We're married to the mission, not a model. The mission is getting the harvest done. The model is, what do I need to do at this moment, at this time, in this place to see it occur? We are married to the mission, not a model. Say that after me. Say, married to the mission. Now look at the Apostle Paul, right? Look at what Paul did. I'm going to teach you a little bit today. We're going to learn a little bit today, alright? Can you show, show them that? There we go, alright. Now if you can't see this, I'll read it to you. This is Paul showing what it means to be married to the mission and not a model. So you go through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13, Paul goes to Antioch. He goes to Antioch and he meets some Jews that are interested in this Jesus. What does he do? He begins to use history of the Jewish people in the Old Testament to reach them and to tell them the good news. But then the next chapter, he goes to uh, Lystra, and there he meets idolaters. He's not meeting Jews. He's meeting idolaters that are reaching false gods. Then they're drawing a lot of them from nature. And so what does Paul do when he begins to preach to them and talk with them? He actually draws from nature. He actually shows them that I know some things about nature. And I know where you're coming from, but let me show you the truth. And then you go to Acts 17, and he goes to Athens. And that's a bunch of educated philosophers. And when he gets to them, what does he do with them? Does he just draw from the Old Testament? No, he does not. When he goes to them, he actually quotes from Stoic philosophers and prophets. You read it, read it. At Mars Hill, he quotes from the Stoic philosophers to show them, I know where you're coming from, but let me show you the truth of who knows the truth, not those philosophers, but Jesus. So he goes from history and Old Testament to drawing from nature, the quoting from Stoic poets, and then in Acts 22 he goes to Jerusalem, and there it's not an interested group of Jews, it's a mob of Jews that want to kill him. And what does he do with them? With them he begins to give his personal testimony. He'd been the chief of the Jews. He had been a Jew among the Jews. And he begins to use that. So history and Old Testament, drawing from nature, quoting from Stoic poets, personal testimony, all of these are different models, but the whole time... Paul is committed to one mission, the mission of telling both Jew and Gentile there is one path to salvation, and that is Jesus the Messiah. Now how does this affect our church? How does this affect us? See, some of you come to church every Sunday and you're thinking about somebody else. Today is about us. Today is about you, and if you're not a believer, it's about you thinking today. If you don't know Jesus and you've come today, listen, it is about you thinking about what am I going to do with Jesus? For us in the church, today is a confrontation day of confronting us with what are we doing as a church. So those are Paul's models to do the mission. Show them the next slide, Brother Rick. So what are we doing this year? 
We had special days for you to invite people. Easter, we did pretty good at Easter. That was all right. Christmas time, special Christmas service. Lots of people will go at Christmas, don't go any other time of the year. Also this year, we did a smaller Christmas play this year, 20, or last year. This year, we're going back to what we did two years ago. We're going to do a big Christmas play, full on. That's a perfect opportunity to invite people to come and learn about Jesus. We've never had a fall friend day since I've been pastor. In the fall, we're going to come together. We're going to encourage you to strategically, over a month-long period, be inviting people to come and hear. We have homecoming service, so those are special days. Then we have family focus. I'm telling you, I just, God just laid it on my heart a month ago to contact all the parents who had children from high school down to preschool to contact them all and to say, when we get done at church, we're going to go to the park together and we're going to fellowship after the service. By the way, some of you who are, who are, who are older, you might remember before churches and concrete was everywhere, do you know back in the old days, because they used to have to ride in horses and carts to church, many times they would go to church and they would meet. And then you know what they would do? They would go out on the grounds and everybody would eat their lunch before they went back. Now listen, we've gained a lot. We have air conditioning. And we have nice restrooms. And we have a, we have a, we have a great gym that God's blessed us with. But can I tell you something? Something was lost in that because sometimes after you've worshipped with God, it's good to sit with them and to eat together just like Jesus and the disciples did. If you believe that, say amen. Now listen to me. God just gave that to me that, listen, we've got to do something and let's have this family fun day. And so then when I, when, I, when I sent all those messages out to families, I encouraged them, invite your family members to come. Tell them, say, hey, I want you to come to church with me. And then we're going to go eat together and we're going to fellowship together. And you know what? We had some people come. That was a little bullet. That was, that was just shooting some bullets. I know, politically correct people, they're going to come get me. Don't be doing that, preacher. Let's suspend you from school. Lord, have mercy if those teachers knew what I had in my house, okay? That was shooting some bullets. I'm going to tell you, in the fall and the spring, we're going to do that again. And that was a blessing. But can I say the families that came, it was a blessing for you the first time. The next time we do this, do not sit back and say, this is going to be a blessing for me. You say, I'm going to invite somebody to church, and this is going to be a blessing for somebody else. Amen? Vacation Bible school, right now. Do, do what I asked you to do. Drop your kids off and go, go on a date. Invite your friends. Tell your friends, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you come with me. Listen to me, parents. Listen to me. There's no excuse. Tell your friends. We want to we get real radical. Tell, tell some of your friends. Got a single mom? Tell that single mom, you know what? You need to night off. Let me take your kids to vacation Bible school with my kids. You got a couple that is struggling their marriage? Use vacation Bible school and tell them, listen, tell them, say, you know what? Why don't you bring your kids to vacation Bible school like we're going to do and then we'll go together and we'll go out on a date together while our kids are at vacation Bible school. That means you get to pour into another couple who might be struggling in their marriage and those kids are going to learn the Word of God. Do you see how simple this is? It's simple. The problem is we don't do it because we're too fed on physical food and we don't really know what it's like to be nourished by doing the work of God. We don't. You say, Pastor, how can you say that? 
Because after seven years, I know the 10 or 11 people that will always tell people about Jesus. Now there's some I don't know about, so I, I, don't get me wrong, I'm not sitting here judging. There are some of you that, that the truth is I may not know, and I'm aware of that. But I also know there are some people that are really hungry, that are constantly telling, because they find that it nourishes them and it gives them food. I'm not going to be the one that judges you for this. It is your Master Jesus who looks at you and knows whether you're doing the harvest work or not. The truth is, the truth is, I don't always do a great job. If you can do better like me, say amen. Family fun days, vacation Bible school, Easter egg hunt went great this year. Biggest we've had, going to ramp it up again. Carrie and my wife, a lot of us Carrie, put on this event in the fall, Pedal for Jesus, where we made a pedal bicycle course out there, and it went awesome. This year we're going to add a Nerf War to it. Why do that? To get families here to meet us and know us and to show them that we love them. Listen, as we move into the fall, you know, I've thought about, what can I do? And the truth is, I preach Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. But God has been challenging me, Charles, not to build a name for yourself because it's not about building a name for a pastor. It's about building a name for Jesus. If you want Jesus' name spread, say amen. And I thought, what can I do? I believe I'm preaching the truth. I believe that this is the right word. I believe this. And by the way, I believe there are a lot of people preaching the truth, but I also believe even in this town that there are a lot of people that are proclaiming gospels that are not the gospel of Jesus. We're making our sound system change. We decided to hold off for good reason, but there's another piece to that. And the other piece to that is to video those services to get them online to think, are there people that will watch? And we may, not, we may not show the whole service. We may just take snippets, take highlights from the messages and get them out there. Why invest in that as a church? Not for a name for ourselves. Not to just say, Cookville Free Will Baptist, what a great place. No, 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 no. To say, this is a place where Jesus is lifted up. This is a place where sinners find redemption. And so I've thought in the fall, I've never done a big promotion of a sermon series. I mean, I, that, that conference I went to, and I'm not talking about cheesy, cheesy t-shirts, and not everybody's got to get them, but they, they showed me these t-shirts. Preacher said, when I do a sermon series, we buy t-shirts, and we make them look good. And people wear them, and they wear them two or three weeks before the service series. They just wear them out around town, and they make them the kind of t-shirts where people ask questions. What is that about? What is that... I got a little t-shirt the church gave me, a little group gave me. It has a one and a line and a, and a, I think it's a one, six, eight. And people ask me all the time, they go, what does that one over 168 mean? You know what I tell them? I say, that was done by a church group. Most parents take their kids to church for one hour a week. That one over 168 represents all the hours of the week. And if you take your kid to church one hour of the week and that's all the spiritual food they're getting and you think that they're going to turn out disciples for Jesus, you've lied to yourself. People ask me all the time. I wear that t-shirt. People ask me, what is that 1 over 168? God laid it on my heart. Charles, what can you do more to promote the Word of God? 
This church takes care of you. You love where you pastor. But it is time again, it is time for this church to stop being a hidden jewel and to start being a bright light for our community. If you want that, say amen. You've got to hold on. Listen, listen, I invited a guy to church on Friday. He's not white. He has plugs in both ears. He has more hair than my mama ever had wrapped around the top of his head. And you know what I told him? I said, you know where you need to be? You need to be with me in church. That's where you need to be. No, no, preacher, we can't do that. If Jesus can break all sorts of customs to sit at a well with a woman to tell her that He knows her sins and that knows that Jesus can forgive them, then what is it that we cannot do to get the Word out and to see a harvest for Jesus Christ? There are other things. Other things we can do. But at the end of the day, church, it's a simple matter of are you going to tell or are you going to be content just coming week after week and going home week after week after week? When you begin to tell, you'll find that it won't stop. You won't be able to stop telling people about how good Jesus is. I'm excited today. I'm excited because on Wednesday with our college group, we decided Wednesday, summertime, that goes down a little bit. And we decided, hey, instead of meeting in the gym, let's go to Starbucks and sit outside and study the Bible together. And so we went to do our Bible study. When I got there, Connor had met a friend, invited him to come to the Bible study. A young man came to our Bible study just to study God's Word with us. He sat out there with us. as The same lesson I did with you guys that were here Wednesday night in that class, that same lesson we did over at Starbucks. And guess what? That young man is here today. Can you say praise the Lord? That took somebody just saying, hey, you want to come with us? That also took as a church being willing to say, you know what? Jesus didn't say just sit around here. Jesus said go to them and bring the harvest in. When you were growing up, did you ever get a harvest done by just sitting in the house? Not one time. Not one time. If you're ready to see a harvest, say amen. Then you have to be the worker. You have to be the worker. Let me close with this. Go go back to verse 39. Look what it says. Look what it says. John 4, 39. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on Him. For the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come, so she told them and they believed that something had happened. Something had happened to her. So when the Samaritans were come unto Him, they besought Him that He would tarry with them and He abode there two days. He, Jesus, so many people are getting saved that Jesus has to say, I'm going to stay a couple more days. So He did. He stayed there two days and many more believed because of His own Word. But look at this. Brother Mark Apple and I were talking about this message this week. And Brother Mark, Brother Mark told me, he's like, don't forget verse 42. Look at what verse 42 says. They stay. She tells them and they believe. But look at what they say in verse 42 after being with Jesus. They said unto the woman, they look at the woman, and they said, now we believe. 
not because of your saying, for we have now heard him ourselves and know we know not because of your testimony. We know not because of grandpa's testimony. We know not because of the church's past. We know now ourselves. Why? We have heard him ourselves and know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. If you believe that Jesus is the only answer for America, He's the only answer for Britain, He's the only answer for the Middle East, He's the only answer for sinners anywhere, if you believe that, say amen. Amen. Then there is a harvest. There is a harvest. Now some of you today, you're like the Samaritan people. You've heard about Jesus and you've been coming to this church. You've been coming. Because somebody else told you and you thought there's something to this. And you've been around believers and you've thought there is something to these believers. And I think there's something to this. My friends, listen to me. Our church can do all that we want to do to reach people, but at the end of the day, if you're here today and you've been coming, for some of you for months or years, because somebody else told you at some point, like those Samaritans, you have to move from somebody told me so I came. To I believe for myself. And I know this morning, I know that there are two or three people in this church that I personally know that Jesus is ready for you to move from I came for somebody else to publicly saying, I am here for Jesus. I'm here for Him. Church, that is our mission. And that is our calling. And if you don't know Him today, the same way He confronted that woman over her sin, He knows your sin. He's calling to you and He's saying, come, come and find that I am the giver of eternal life. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's just just do this before we pray. Just, Just close your eyes right there. This isn't about psychological pressure. I don't want to pressure anybody. I want the Word of God to speak. I want to ask a question. I'm going to ask two questions. First question, if you would just be honest right now and say, Pastor, I have not been telling others the way that Jesus wants me to tell. I've not been in the harvest the way He wants me to be. Pastor, that's me. I'm not not telling others the way God wants. If that is you and you'd be honest, would you lift your hand? All over this house. All over this house. Listen, this is God's Word to you. This is God's Word to you. It is is harvest time. One more question. If you are here today and you've never publicly confessed Him, you say, Pastor, I want to, but I haven't yet. I'm not going to come down to where you are. I'm not going to come get you, but if you're just honest, nobody else is looking. You say, Pastor, I've not confessed Jesus, but man... I really want to. Would you lift your hand right now? Pastor, I've never confessed. Pastor, I want to. Dear Lord, right now, there are many that raise their hands. Lord, this message is for them and this time is for them. Lord, I pray now that we would get a burden for the harvest. Lord, help us to be concerned with reaching others. Lord, help us to see Your great name and Your fame spread. 
Lord, if there are those that need to come today and commit, commit to getting serious about harvest work, Lord, they're ready. They're ready to see Your name spread. Lord, I pray they would come now. Lord, not worry about anybody else, but just come and kneel and say, Lord, give me a heart of obedience for the harvest. Lord, I ask that You move. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.